Okay, now it's on. There we go. I thought so. I wasn't sure. Uh, well, anyway, my name is Taylor. I'm privileged to be one of the pastors here. Uh, we're glad that you guys are joining us this morning. Uh, this week has been a special week because we had a MERS here yesterday, and a MERS uh, is a time that we set aside every season here at City Light. Uh, to spend all day long reading from the scriptures, hearing uh, the word of God read, praying through the word. And I just want to thank our church. Uh, so many of you showed up, and so many of you uh, were here. Some of you were here all day long. Uh, and we read through 72 of the Psalms together and prayed, and the Spirit was present. And I'm telling you, um, this isn't something that we just do casually. It's something that we do often. Every Thursday night, we have Restore here. Um, starting around 6.30, and we really want to be a church that makes prayer a priority, that we are dependent upon prayer, uh, that we're not going to build a church based on our own skill sets or our own giftings, but on um, the bedrock that is seeking the Lord. And so um, I want to thank you guys for that. And then this has also been a special week because our entire staff, with the exception of myself and Valerie, uh, they dedicated their time, uh, the interns as well, uh, they went to Smith Mountain Lake, uh, and they went on a retreat. And all day long, every day, uh, they were praying in Lynchburg, Virginia, uh, seeking the Lord, praying for our church, praying for our staff, praying for our community, praying for our nation. Uh, and they were there, uh, while they were there doing that, I myself was at Andrews Air Force Base. I was serving as a chaplain in the Air Force this past week. Uh, and so at the beginning of the week, I was really jealous because I wanted to be there with the staff. I wanted to be down there, and I wanted to be able to pray with them. Uh, but as many of you know, uh, Nate sent out an email. Uh, Nate, our lead pastor, sent out an email uh, explaining how while they were there, uh, one of our staff members, uh, whose name I will not mention, uh, tested positive for COVID. And so uh, there's more details in the newsletter, but in light of that, um, most of them were exposed, so they all immediately got tested. All those test results came back negative. Uh, but just as an extra additional safety precaution, uh, they are all quarantining for the next 10 days. Uh, and uh, like I said, Nate sent out an email. Uh, so if you want more information about that, uh, you can read it, check your, uh, check your newsletter. Um, but this morning, um, we are talking about being ready. And I just think in light of everything that's going on, Nate and I were just talking yesterday about this too, is I don't think it's a coincidence uh, that this is the week our entire staff is, is um, quarantining. Uh, even yesterday, uh, uh, we had a MERS, and we were short volunteers, we were short staff, uh, and one thing that we say often is that the church is built by everybody bringing their brick, everybody doing their part, uh, that this isn't a church that's dependent upon professionals, but we are all one body, and I just want to, uh, again, thank you all for showing up, for bringing your brick. Um, I feel like things are going uh, just as planned. Uh, there hasn't been a bump in the road. Uh, and so I encourage you to pray for our staff, but know uh, that we'll, we'll see them again shortly. So today, if you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We are in this series called Fanning the Flame. Fanning the Flame. And in chapter 4, we're going to read through verses 1 through 8 this morning. So if you have your Bibles or if you have um, one of the scripture journals, I encourage you to take notes. Uh, but we're going to hear from the Apostle Paul again, writing to Timothy this morning, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read it and then we'll break it down. This is what the Bible says. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. 
For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Paul's talking to the church. He's talking to Timothy, those who believe in Jesus. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for the charge to Timothy from Paul that we see in this text. Lord, I pray right now for us to hear the word by your spirit, that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see the truth that is before us today. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And all people said, amen. Anyone in the room remember uh, receiving their first credit card or applying for their first credit card? I remember when I had to apply for my first credit card. It was in 2008. I was a freshman in college. Uh, I was now leaving the comfort of my own home, uh, and it was time for me to start building credit. Uh, and so I remember being a little intimidated by all the paperwork, going to BB&T Bank uh, and asking all these different questions and having to Google a lot of stuff. And uh, up until that point in my life, I had a debit card. And so when it came to my credit history, there just wasn't a lot there. I didn't have a history of borrowing anything. Uh, and so uh, I have on the, on the screens the, the word credit. I think this will help us understand the text. This isn't a financial lesson today, but we're going to look at a couple of different words. Uh, credit is the ability of a consumer to obtain goods or services before payment based on the trust that that payment will one day be made in the future. Now, most of us in the room, when it comes to spending our hard-earned cash that we make, uh, we have all been in a season of life where we need to purchase something but did not have enough money to make that purchase. So at that point, what do we do? We borrow money, and from a lender, and with the expectation that we're going to pay that lender back. Now, credit history is a, is a, is a different net definition. Credit history is the record um, of how a person has managed his own credit in the past, his or her own credit, uh, including debt owed, including the number of cre credit lines, including, including uh, uh, the timeliness of paying back that credit. Now, many of us in the room know that this history is what lenders use to determine your credit score, your credit score. Now, I have one more definition, one more definition. Uh, and I think this will help us a lot this morning. It's collateral, collateral. The term collateral, it refers to an asset that the lender accepts as security for a loan, something that is going to function as, as collateral for borrowing money. Now look, even as I talk about credit and as I talk about collateral, some of you in the room this morning, you're getting anxious and you're getting nervous uh, because when it comes to finances, let's be honest, finances just stress you out. That's not your go-to. Uh, you don't like spreadsheets. You don't like numbers. Um, if you're anything like me, uh, Nate always gets on me and John, they always make fun of me for using my hands to count because I still, I can't, I just can't do simple math in my head. I just can't do that. Uh, uh, because finances stress you out, right? And then there, there's, a, there's a group of you in the room where money, finances, spreadsheets, credit scores, like some of you are like bursting right now to like show me your credit score because it's like on your phone right now and you just want me to see it because you are on top of it and you are always watching it. 
And then there are some of you in the room, and you're probably thinking, well, Dave Ramsey said, like, <laughs> cash only, cash only, credit cards are the devil, credit cards are bad. Uh, now, now, look, this is not a lesson from Financial Peace University. Uh, I'm here to preach about eternal peace. No matter where you are on the spectrum, Paul in verse 1, he's going to give us a snapshot of Jesus's collateral, what Jesus writes down as he's applying for a credit line. So read with me again verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. So Jesus is applying for a credit card, follow me, and the first thing we read on his application is that he is judge over all, over the living and the dead. Isaiah 33, 22, it says, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. And then we see in Psalm 75, 7, But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. We leave the judging to God. He is the one alone who has the perfect standard of right and wrong. And then next on his credit card application, Paul says, by his appearing and his kingdom. Paul's pointing to the future here. He's saying, look, Jesus is judge and he's coming back, his appearing. He's talking about his second coming. That is that Paul's saying, Timothy, remember that before Jesus left, he told us he was going to come back. And we see that in Acts 1, 9 through 11. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up in a cloud, and it took him out of his sight. This is how Jesus left the world. And then the disciples are just standing around, and they're standing there, and they're gazing up into heavens, and, and they're, they're looking at the point in the sky where Jesus disappeared. And then we read this, that these two men in robes, men of Galilee, they looked at them, and they said, why are you standing up looking at the sky? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come again in the same way. And so we know as the church that Jesus is going to return, that he's going to come back. Paul is saying Jesus is coming back, and we are in the business of working for his kingdom. And I think this text is just so perfect in the season of life that we are in right now, uh, getting ready to enter into November, because the reality for us is that many of us in this room, perhaps in your own family, certainly in the world, many of you are fearful and you're worried because November 3rd is right around the corner. And I just want to encourage you from the word of God and comfort you that when it comes to the future, God is judge. Jesus is coming back, and his kingdom will be established. That before we are citizens of this country, we are citizens of heaven, and that our allegiance is to Christ and Christ first. That Paul wants to do, in light of these truths, what he wants to teach us is he wants to give Timothy three separate charges. He wants us to swipe a credit card. So I want you to imagine that because you believe in Jesus Christ, he has given you a credit card. He has applied for the line of credit, and you have now become a card holder. And Paul wants to charge you in three separate ways. So here are the three ways. First, he wants us to be charged to be ready. We see that in verse two. Then he wants to charge us to be sober-minded. We get that from verses three and four. And lastly, he wants to charge us to be poured out that we are to pour out our lives. We get that from verses five through eight. So look at verse two with me. Verse two, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. See, as believers, you and I, 
we are privileged to share in this charge with Timothy that in light of what Jesus has done and what he's going to do in the future, we need to be ready. We need to be ready. We need to be ready to preach. We need to be ready to reprove. We need to be ready to rebuke. We need to be ready to exhort. Look at somebody and say to them, get ready. See, I wanted to, um, I, I don't think it's orthodox, but I really wanted to play Space Jam right now. And like, uh, the last time I preached, Aaron put up uh, LeBron James up on the screen, and I wasn't a fan of that. And, and I thought Space Jam would make Michael Jordan a little bit happier, um, that, that we all need to get ready. Like, are y'all ready for this? Paul is clear. He says, Timothy, Jesus is coming back, and if we are to be ready for his return, preach. The pe- this past Thursday, uh, just behind me upstairs in our youth room, some of our servant leaders for the first time preached a sermon here at City Light. Uh, and I can't tell you how excited it was, how excited I was uh, to hear them preach their first message. And this isn't because um, I'm just a preacher and that's what I do, um, but it's because of the important function and role of preaching in the local church. We listened last week to Pastor John as he, how he told us that uh, the Word of God does the work. The Word of God does the work. If you missed that message, I really encourage you to go back and listen to it. Paul tells Timothy to preach that the way the church is to get ready, remain ready, and stay ready is for the return of Jesus Christ is through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Notice that Paul does not just say preach. He doesn't just say preach. He says preach the Word. He doesn't say preach about the Word. He also doesn't say preach using the word. He says preach the word. This word preach, it means to herald, it means to call, it means to point attention to. The goal of a preacher is to disappear in the pulpit, that, that when we listen to sermons preached, when we listen to the word of God preached, that Jesus is supposed to be highlighted, that our attention and our focus should be on our Heavenly Father. D. Martin Lloyd, he says in a book, um, it's called Preaching for Preachers, it says, um, what is the chief end of preaching? This is written like a long time ago, so the English is a little different. What is the chief end of preaching? I like to think it it is this. I like to think it is this. It is to give men and women a sense of God and his presence. I was excited about them preaching their first sermons because of what preaching will produce in the world. That when the word of God, listen to this description of the word of God, verse 12, uh, for the word of God is, a living, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the divisions of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Faithful preaching means that I am constantly rebuked, it means that I am constantly corrected, and it means that I am constantly encouraged. Paul is saying in season and out of season, consistently, consistently you need to hear preaching. Now, if preaching is how I am to be rebuked and it's how I'm to be corrected and it's how I'm to be encouraged, I don't know about you, um, but when I looked at my schedule this past week, I need a lot of that in my life. I need a lot of correction. Just ask my wife. I need a lot of correction. I need a lot of encouragement. I need a lot of rebuking. I need people to help me stay on the right track. I need all of it, as much of it as I can get. I want to hear the word preach when it's easy and when it's difficult, in season and out of season. Many of you know that uh, during our leader rally, uh, before every Sunday, we did it this morning, during our leader rally, we all participate and encourage each other, and we have this chant that we say, and the chant ends that we here at City Light Church, we are excited, we are expectant, and we are ready for God to move. That City Light Church will be ready. 
that we will be ready, we will be obedient, that we, as Paul has charged us, the first swipe of the card that we make in the name of Jesus is for our readiness. And I, I just want to say, um, we talk about readiness a lot. I'm in the Air Force and I'm an officer. Um, and as a chaplain, the Air Force is constantly talking about readiness. It's why I'm in the reserves. That at any given moment in time, our nation needs to be ready to fight all enemies, foreign and domestic. We need to be ready for anything that comes our way. And the severity of that, it's heavy and it's weighty and you feel it and we're constantly doing uh, training on it and we're constantly being reminded on it. And I just want that to translate to the church because the reality is, is that our readiness in the kingdom of God isn't just a national readiness, it's a global readiness, that we need to be ready, that when Jesus comes back, his church, his bride will be waiting for him. The second thing that we are charged on this credit card, the second thing that we swipe the card with, it's found in verses three and four. Look at verse three. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myth. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, Timothy. We are to be sober-minded. Why? This means that, very simply, when it comes to the matter of truth, what is true, the world that we live in will be divided over that. It means that the reality of sin in this world has led people to trusting their own thinking and their own wisdom and that as sin continues to have its effect on the world, people will no longer tolerate listening to the truth, but rather they will just want to be entertained. They will want preachers to tell them that everything's going to be okay and that it's going to work out and that God has a plan for them and he's going to bless them. And really the reality is, is that living the Christian life isn't about maintaining self, it's about the abandonment of self. The easiest way you and I can spot a false teacher the easiest way that you and I can spot a false teacher is that it's all about them. It's all about them. Look at Acts 20, 30. And from among your own selves, so this is Luke and he's talking to the church. He says, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. There are many people out there, and according to Luke, even among the church, that would take a little bit of what God's word says and mix it with a little bit of their own agenda. And spiritual abuse is what takes place. Matthew warns us against these types of individuals. He says in verse 15 of Matthew 7, be aware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Listen, the question is not if there are going to be false teachers. It's if we are sober-minded enough to think through what our brains are being exposed to. In an article by David Mathis on the topic of false teaching. Listen to this. This is what he writes. He writes, if you watch any television, listen to any radio or podcast, keep up with the news or interact at depth with just about anyone in modern society, you are being exposed to some form of false teaching. If you cannot identify any of the voices that you hear as false, it is not because you are not being exposed, but because you are falling for it in some way. For most of church history, it took an extraordinary energy and effort to influence the masses. Messages had to be copied by hand, and teachers had to travel foot on horseback. There were no cars or airplanes. 
no printing presses, no websites, no Facebooks, no Instagrams, but today, just about every false teacher has a Twitter account. We are charged to be sober-minded. The best way I can tell you to think about this is that in light of all the knowledge that we consume in a 24-hour period is that we must do our best to never graduate. And here's what I mean by that. We live in a learn and dump culture. We live in a study for the test and then dump the information culture. And we also live in a graduate and celebrate culture, right? First graders get a graduation nowadays. First graders graduate, that's a thing. Uh, when, when my niece graduated first grade, everyone had to be there, we took pictures, we clapped, uh, and it continues. We may graduate first grade and then elementary school, and then we graduate high school, and some of us in here graduated from college, and a few of us graduated as doctors, but listen, when it comes to the all-inspiring, infallible, authoritative word of God, you and I never graduate. We never graduate. We never arrive at a place where we have learned it all and we have mastered it all. The Bible is clear that God is ultimately incomprehensible to us. That is, we can never fully comprehend his whole being. Psalm 145.3, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Romans 11.33, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. We never graduate. We must be sober-minded. We have to work hard by maintaining um, this sober-minded attitude. We have to keep our minds from being intoxicated by the messages of the world. We have to think clearly about important matters, and we have to maintain teachable spirits. That when the word of God is taught and preached here at City Light or in your lighthouses, at your workplace, that as you explain what you believe, as you explain your faith to others around you, by God's mercy and grace, that he would give us the pleasure of learning something new about him. Paul says, Timothy, this is how you will fulfill your ministry. And I think this phrase at the end of verse 5 is so key for us because it brings us to our last swipe of the card. It brings us to our last swipe of the credit card that you and I are charged to be poured out. Paul says, fulfill your ministry because he knows that his ministry is about to be fulfilled. That is, for him, the end is near. And, and he, he's contemplating the end of his life. There's nothing like the reality of death that will bring clarity to the issues of life. I'll say that again. There is nothing like the reality of death that will bring clarity to the issues of life. Look with me at verse 6. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only me, but to all who love his appearing, to the whole church, to anybody who calls and believes and confesses in the name of Jesus Christ and makes Jesus the Lord over their life. Paul illustrates his life using this language from the Old Testament sacrificial system. And we get this type of image from books like Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers that under the Old Testament law, when a lamb was to be sacrificed at the altar, uh, it was customary, the common practice was that wine would be poured out on the altar. 
Now, Paul's a Roman citizen, and he knows that Roman citizens cannot be crucified, so he may have suspected that uh, or concluded that he was going to be beheaded. And in light of this, uh, his life would end with his blood being poured out on the altar. And this gives us a very graphic but a very appropriate picture of the apostle's life. That this type of sacrifice, Paul's life, poured out is an act of worship for Jesus. That in the same way that Paul lived his life as a sacrifice to the Lord, you and I are called to pour our lives out for the glory and the honor and the fame of Jesus Christ. That that's how we live. That's what being a Christian is about. That we steward our lives, all of our lives. We pour out our lives in honor of what Jesus Christ has done. Now, as I invite the worship team um, back up as we close, listen, the reality of his death has brought the important issues of life to the forefront of Paul's mind. This is the last opportunity for him to tell his protege, Timothy, what he needs to do, what's important. Now, now earlier I told you that I applied for my first credit card in 2008, uh, and, and based on my credit history as a 19-year-old, uh, to be honest, at that age, I really had no history. Uh, but I was approved for a grand total of $800. That's what I got. Uh, that was my first line of credit. According to the credit bureau, I was not worthy and could not be trusted with a credit line more than $800. Now, as I look back at verse 1, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. The Apostle Paul has certainty about what matters in light of the fact that God is judge, that Jesus is coming back, and that his kingdom will be established. Even right now, the primary audience is Jesus Christ. The primary individual being worshipped and glorified right now is Jesus Christ, that I am preaching to him first and foremost, that everything Paul instructs Timothy to do is in light of, light of an audience of God. And based on that assurance, we have all been given a line of credit through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that line of credit, it's unlimited. It's an unlimited line of credit. I want you to think about it this way. I want you to think about being ready and being sober-minded, being poured out, that as we strive to be these things, we are making daily investments into the kingdom of God. And that one way, one day we will endure to the end like the Apostle Paul. We will depart to be with our Heavenly Father, and we will see that he has purchased for us a heavenly crown of righteousness. This is the cost of the crown. This is the cost of the crown. So we're going to take communion. I want to give you guys a moment to, to grab uh, on, your, on your seats. There should be communion cups. You guys can come up. Paul instructs us to live in a way not hoping that one day we'll receive a crown, but anticipation of it. I'm going to read from Titus as you guys prepare to take communion. Titus 3.5, it says, He has saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, 
by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And listen to verse 6. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. We pour our lives out because Jesus poured his out. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the promise of eternal life. Communion is an opportunity for us who believe in this truth who believe in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a pretty simple good news. It's Jesus in our place. That we look back at his body that was broken on our behalf. And we look back and acknowledge and we celebrate the blood that was shed on our behalf. And some of you in the room, you recognize right now that in the kingdom of God, financially speaking, you are spiritually bankrupt. That the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ acknowledges the fact that you have a terrible credit history. He knows that you and I could never work our way back out of debt from sin before a holy God. He knows that, that we have this sin issue, and it's why he sent his son, because he loves us, because Christ died for us. 1 John 2, 2 says, he is the propitiation for our sins. And it means that our debt has been paid in full. That word propitiation, it's a marketplace term. It means an exchanging of goods, that what Jesus did on the cross paid in full any debt of sin that we have. And through the cross, you and I can be debt-free today. We can experience the freedom that Paul is talking about here in this text. Paul lived a life that was ready. He lived a life that was sober-minded, and he lived a life that was poured out in response of the crown of righteousness that Jesus had purchased for him on the cross. This is the cost of the cross. We're gonna give you guys some time to take communion. You can take communion, you can respond by giving. There's a text to give link. And then you can also respond by prayer. I'll be available down here if anybody wants to pray and make that commitment to Jesus for the first time today.